And three, two, one. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Live and Let's Discuss. I'm Jeremy. And I'm Noah. And we're talking about Dalton's Timothy Dalton's first Bond outing, The Living Daylights, also known as Just In Case Roger Moore Wanted to Come Back, the movie. Um, this movie's awesome. Uh, this is one of my favorite movies ever. <laughs> uh, yep. Can only agree. So the big thing at the end of A View to a Kill uh, that I think everyone took away is they needed a new Bond. And they needed a new Bond fast. Because Roger Moore was just too old to be Bond. He didn't want to be Bond again. Um, there... We talked about this in the last episode. They wanted Pierce Brosnan, but he was on a television show and they couldn't get him to be Bond. So they called up someone that they had tried to get twice previously, which is Timothy Dalton. And he said yes this time. And we got. Third time's the charm. Third time's the charm. And he got. He brought us one of the best Bond movies ever? I would say two of them, if you're going to be precise. Well, yeah, but I was just talking about this one. Yeah. Um, The Living Daylights tonally is very similar to most of the more era films. I would say... To it. Yeah, I would say it shares a lot with For Your Eyes Only and Octopussy. Mm -hmm. But... We now have a younger Bond, so we don't need to age up Bond. We don't, we don't need to do this. We don't like. We don't need to do a lot of the things that they had to do with the more mm-hmm. films. Oh, they, and again, as we should mention, John Glenn is back as the director. Mm-hmm. John Barry is back as the composer for one last time, and he saved the best for last. Yes, uh, we get my favorite. Bond opening ever with the training. They're, mm. they have, they're doing a training thing where M has three double O's jump out of a airplane and they're going to sneak into a, an SAS military base. And it's a training exercise. They're supposed to be shot with paint if they're caught. But there is an assassin in there killing off the double O's and then Bond ends up fighting the assassin which is a great scene of showing off that Timothy Dalton can fight a bit yeah I like his reveal you know the dramatic turn and we see his yeah, face for the first time iconic uh, and they have a nice fight um, Bond ends up landing on a yacht with this woman who's looking for a real man Yep. That he, he borrows her cell phone, that big old cell phone. Oh, that that's a great one, this ancient monstrosity. This big brick. And he, he calls in, he said, I'll be back in an hour. And she offers him champagne. He's like, make it two. And then, bam, we get Aha, The Living Daylights, one of the best songs for in this franchise. Mm-hmm. A pretty interesting opening credits with we actually see the, a lot of the models faces they're not in silhouette mm-hmm. which is nice a lot of revolvers firing 
even though I don't think a revolver was fired once in the movie. Yeah, but I think this is a great looking one. I like it. I think I like it a little bit better than the um, view to a kill opening. Well, that's just straight up 80s neon. Yeah, and this one, it still has the 80s flair to it, especially because AHA, but it's a bit toned down where it still feels, I don't know, it, it, it feels like it could also fit today in a way. Mm. Yes. Oh, Lord. Um, let's get into this. So, Bond, the Living Daylight sh short story. Bond is a sniper. Um, he's been sitting in this hotel room forever. It turns out the person he's supposed to shoot is a woman who's a cello player. I think she's a cello player in the short story. I, th I think so. Um, that plays into this movie where they have a uh, they have a Russian who's defecting to the West and they're trying to get him. Bond's got the most eighties looking Walther sniper rifle I've ever seen in my life. It's not as goofy as the camera gun in the next film. Do you remember the camera gun? Yeah. Oh yeah. I remember <laughs> this was an actual Walther. I think still makes this rifle. It is a precision sniper rifle. It's for target shooting. Like, it's a really accurate rifle. But it is the goofiest looking gun. What I love about this... So basically, this opening is just like an adaptation of the short story with mm -hmm. some added elements because it factors into the larger new plot. But it's very accurate. And yes. it already has a bunch of details that I like. Like Bond is coming out of the place in, like, in a nice black suit. But then he like changes it and buttons it differently and it turns into this like tactical gear almost. Fair. Yes, it reminded me of I think it's gold the beginning of Goldfinger where Bond swims in and then he takes the the um the wetsuit off and it's a perfect pristine tux underneath. Oh I yeah, it's kind of a little nod to that. Mm -hmm. Um the guy in the hotel room, Bond's spotter, is the most obnoxious man. And he, he is the definition of just obnoxious. And he's by the book. He's so by the book. And, and he gets a nice little character arc later on. Yes. And Bond, Bond is covering for this guy who escapes through a bathroom window or our main villain for this movie climbs out a toilet window <laughs> and he's running down the street and there's a woman cello player who's a sniper and Bond decides to shoot her rifle instead of her. Mm -hmm. He scared the living daylights out of her and he says the title of the movie is a little goofy but you know whatever. I, I love it. I, I, I love this movie. I forgive uh, the goofier elements. Um, but the the big thing is this Russian is aware of Bond, and he thinks that Bond's the best, and he requested Bond was going to cover him to get him into the West. Mm -hmm. And so they put him in a tube. This is the greatest thing, where we have this uh, Russian that woman that works for the British uh, 
British intelligence, and she she runs this pipeline where they can smuggle people through it. It's an oil natural gas pipeline, and they they shoot little tubes through it, and they can put people in the tube, and <laughs> fire them over the the border into the west. And a great joke. And I know people say like, "Oh, Dalton, the comedy is not his strong suit." I love the joke in here where he's where he's telling the Russian guy Koskov, "Oh, you're a first customer." Like, he's the first one they test this on. Like, they don't know if it's even going to work. <laughs> they throw him in. But she, she, she like, seduces her supervisor. Mm-hmm. Which is pretty funny. And then Bond gets over the border. We have Q, which Q's really starting to look old. Yeah. He's having trouble going up the stairs. Yeah. And he's he's on the field. Yes. But but it makes sense in this one. I guess they need him to operate the thing. Yes. Um, so Q's the same, M's the same, who's not the same. We have a younger money penny. Yep. Good choice. Yep. The the thought process there, she's my I think my favorite my money penny. Hmm. Her and really? Dalton really have good chemistry together. Specifically in this film, she doesn't have a whole lot to do in the next one. But I was looking for it. I, I remember watching this, watching License to Kill, and then watching Goldeneye, and they, they had recast Money Penny again and being a little disappointed. Yeah. But she really works in, in these movies, and they've changed the way that headquarters looks mm. um mi6 looks and specifically q branch looks different in the dalton films yeah. than it ever has like it, it i like it it looks very 80s mm-hmm. um but that's also when we get some of his greatest gadgets Oh, that's yeah. also something with Dalton. Instead of the comedy coming from him, like with Roger Moore and his interactions with Q, it's mostly now just Q being funny with his gadgets. Yes. And we get two great ones. The sofa that you sit on and it swallows you up. <laughs> and the ghetto blaster, which is literally what it sounds like. It's a boombox that's also a rocket launcher. And it's, they're developing it for the Americans, which that is... You couldn't get away with that today. It's kind of offensive. But the one thing... M and Dalton's Bond, they don't interact well, in my opinion. Really? In this. Hmm. There's not a lot there for the two of them. License to Kill, it's different. Mm -hmm. I think that they just weren't used to one another, and that's why... But if I have to pick a weak point, I think it's that. I have another weak point. A certain character who reappears for the first time in years. A a British man. Oh, no, an American man, I mean. Oh, yeah. Isn't isn't he also in the, the Brosnan films? No, he isn't at all. Oh, oh! You're talking about Felix. Yep, that's I the weird point. I thought you were talking about the arms dealer because he's also in the Brosnan movies. Yeah, it? but he's a different character in that one. 
he bec he gets from the villain and becomes the new Felix essentially in the Brosnan era. Yes, because they didn't want to use Felix after the follow up film. Yeah, but yeah, I I like um, what's the new M in here? Well, not new. He was new in Octopussy already. Yeah, no, I like him and I like Dalton. I just don't think their interactions with one another in the Living Daylights hmm. are that memorable. Memorable? Okay, I can give you. I think it's just because also the License to Kill interaction is very memorable. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's probably why. Um, and they just... The, the thing with the Dalton era we should get into in this is that it is very short. Is the definition of it's better to burn out than fade away? Yeah. Um, I mean, at least he got one more than Lazenby. Yeah, well, I... Lazenby isn't a good actor. Dalton's an incredible actor. And Dalton's big thing, and this is the one thing to pull out of this meeting with M, is that they bring in a Fleming element, which is the death to spies. Yep. This is I, the biggest inclusion of Smash as an organization and just an, an idea and a theme since From Russia With Love, I'm going to say. Yes. More so than from Russia with Love, because that's yeah, the because they only get mentioned in that one. Yeah, and uh, John Rhys Davies, who we think initially is going to be the villain, um, because General, the actor playing General Gogol was really ill when making Living Daylights. In fact, I think he died right after this mm -hmm. came out. Um, so I think the idea was to have him as a big character in this. Yeah, but... that was the plan, and that's why I think the movie would have been actually been better if that was the case. Like, even better than it already is, because John Rice davis in this plays a new character, and it's just like, it's a certain Russian guy that Bond knows, and knows is trustworthy. And as a standalone, okay, makes enough sense, but he was supposed to be Gogol, who that would have hit harder, because we already know the character and his relation to Bond. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, at least he got a cameo at the end, which was also nice. Yes. But I still uh, think John Rice davis it's always he's always reliable, so... Oh, yeah, and he, he's believable as a Russian, which I didn't think was... I just watched him as Sala last night in Last Crusade, so... Oh, I, I watched him as Sala in Dial of Destiny at the beginning of the week, so it was weird. Um, But, yeah, he he's a great actor. You see him in all sorts of trash, though. He was in Anaconda 3. Did you know that? Is he in Robot in the Family? Or am Is I just he... making this up? I don't... I've never seen all of Robot in the Family, because we were supposed to watch it together, I think. And then we gave up. Oh, it's bad. It's one of the worst movies. That might be the worst movie ever made that wasn't called Rise of Skywalker. Anyway. Um... There's an organization that our villains are kind of faking that is Death to Spies. Yeah, it's an arms dealer, and he's teamed up with the Russian Koskov, who's he claims to be a defector to the West, but actually he just wants to get away from the Russians and he's just going rogue on his own, basically, and screwing both parties over. With it's kind of a redo of Octopussy in a way. Mm. Because it, it's literally it's it's another Russian that's just doing weird things. 
going rogue. But I, it, it's it's a bit different because he just doesn't care. He just wants money. Yeah, which is a nice element. And then we have his henchman who strangles everyone with his Walkman. He is the best henchman in the entire franchise to me. Necros. That guy is awesome. Like, we have to talk about this entire scene. When Bond just rescued the Russian Koskov. And he brings him to this place where M is and all the other people. And then they leave. And he's the Russian is there. And Necros has to get him out of there. Mm -hmm. So he comes in dressed as a jogger. He with like a Walkman. And he uses the Walkman to strangle and kill the Milkman. Then he <laughs> takes the Milkman costume. And he has... Then he goes in that way. Kills a bunch of security guys. And his milk bottles are grenades. And he throws yeah. them around. Yeah, and, and I he love burns a, he burns an agent on a stove, burns his face on a stove, and hits him over the head with a pan. They have a great fight that that looks like just straight up a brawl. Yeah. And he also and listens to the pretenders. Yeah, then the other great song. We got three great songs in here, all of which could have been the opening title song, honestly. Uh, but he listens to his own theme song while he's murdering people. It's incredible. Yeah, it's just awesome. And I like the little details of him. Like, So he's a jogger at first, all in white and stuff. Then he kills the milkman. He's still keeping his white outfit, like removing one part of it, but he takes like part the of the milkman. Man, like bib and hat. Yeah, yeah. And then he goes into the kitchen and then he's like, he gets the Russian Koskov. And then he's like, okay, I'm going to dress as a doctor now. Like as pulls on a little doctor thing and he's still wearing the white outfit and stuff. And, you know, he reassembles it to his needs in every scene. And it's like, that's so awesome. I, I love him as a henchman. I think he's just the best. Yeah. We do have one funny Bond moment where uh, he gets, he overspends the budget for, for Costco and gets some really nice champagne. And Ep's yeah. face <laughs> the amount of money spent. <laughs> it's pretty great. Also, we get the Aston Martin mm -hmm. return, the triumphant return of Aston Martin as the Bond vehicle with the Vantage V8. Which famously they included in No Time to Die. Well, it's the other, mo probably one of the, it's the other iconic car that doesn't also turn into a submersible. Hmm. So, yeah, they had the DB5. DB5 is always number one, I think, with everyone. And then you have the Aston Martin, 86, Aston Martin, Vantage V8. They still make the Vantage V8. That is, that is still a car that Aston Martin <laughs> manufactures as of this recording. Um, I, I love the Vantage V8. It's so it's cool. Great. Um. Which we really get, it's the only time we really get a lot of Bond gadgets. There's the keychain with the gas. Mm -hmm. But there aren't a lot of gadgets in this. Yeah, they toned it back to focus on the story and the characters. Yes, the but way they, it should be. But other than with the Craig movies, where they also tried it, they still keep the fun and they keep some of it. Uh-huh. But the, the big thing in this movie is that Bond has an obsession with the sniper because mm -hmm. he's of the opinion that she wasn't actually professionally trained. Uh, so he actually goes back. They're in Czechoslovakia. 
which is no longer a country. We didn't mention that that's where the Russian was getting smuggled away from, uh, Koskov was being smuggled away from, it was Czechoslovakia. Um, she's a cello player. Um, she she actually gets uh, arrested by the KGB and interrogated for a little bit and leaves her uh, cello case on a public tram and Bond takes it. He finds that it, the rifle was firing blanks. Which is also a funny scene because he does that in a public bathroom. Yes. And the people hear him. And that's what I like. I like the comedy in this film. I think it works great. It's nice and dry. Yeah. How it should be. Yes. And... Which I think that fits into the theme of like the tone of this movie. Like you said, it's like it could fit Roger Moore and Pierce Brosnan. The tone of yeah. this is more fun. And Dalton does a great job with it, I think. Uh -huh. uh, but you can tell with License to Kill that was specifically for Dalton's persona written. Yes, um, but we get moments of Dalton's Bond. And Dalton's Bond is Fleming Bond. Yeah, I think he's already perfectly like realized as the Fleming Bond. Like He already makes it his own in this one. Well, because he's made it abundantly clear that his the only direction he thought of that he could take the characters to make it Fleming's Bond mm -hmm. He's the only one that was a fan of the Fleming books. In fact, Roger Moore infamously hated Ian Fleming's books. Yeah. Hated and I think I've I think I've heard Craig read Casino Royale, but he threw it in the trash afterwards. That's so bad. <laughs> um but yeah, um so the the thing is Bond falls for this woman. He he lies to her and says that he's Koskov's friend and he's going to get her out of the country. Um, And he's really into her. I, I think this is like one of those few times that Bond's genuinely in love with someone. Oh yeah, this movie has a lot of romance stuff and it actually works. It does. Um, To the point where there's some ridiculous things. I'm going to skip ahead a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, to the carnival. Oh, they you're thinking of the scene when they're on the roller coaster and he's still wearing his suit? Yes, his tux after go they went to an opera. Um, which, let, let's backpedal a bit and talk about the one big car chase in this mm -hmm. movie, which is incredible. And it's in the middle of the movie. It's not... It's so big, you'd think it was a climactic event, but no. Um Bond Bond's trying to get her out of the country. Um and they have to go back for her cello, which her cello is like a big American like famous American cello. That's an that's another great joke scene where Bond is like, No, we're gonna we're not gonna go back for it. That's stupid, we're gonna go right now. Hard cut, Bond looking annoyed in the car as she's running out with the big cello and they try to <laughs> stuff it in. <laughs> It, it was for the best because the the Vantage V8 gets annihilated, <laughs> which is a shame. It makes me sad every time I see it. Yeah, um, but my favorite, um, one of my favorite Dalton lines is she's like, she's like looking at him as he's deploying the missiles and the the V8, and he's like, Vantage V8, and he's like, I've had a few uh, upgrades installed. 
because he's just doing all the Bond gadgets and stuff. There's the laser that cuts the police car in half. Mm-hmm. There's the uh, the um, the sled tracks on it. It's fun, and then it has the self destruct, and it always makes me sad. And they they end up sledding in the cello case. Yep. Awesome scene, awesome payoff. Yes. And they they slide over the uh the border into into the west by throwing the cello over because they go under the barrier. Yeah. While showing off the pass, like here look at it where they go past. Yeah. <laughs> After all the Russians have <laughs> been chasing and shooting at them. It's pretty great. Yeah. Um, and then we have the, the carnival, which ends up with one of the most heinous deaths in a Bond movie with our uh, stuffy British agent who's having his character arc and starting to become cool. Um, yeah. Because uh, Necros, the best henchman, has like screwed around with like the mechanic door closing mechanism. Yes, there's a sliding door. And, and it has, that's my favorite scene with. Well, my favorite scene is when he throws the milk bottles and stuff, this entire yes. plot. But him, there's just a shot of him waiting to activate the door mechanism. And he's listening to the pretenders, to his own theme song, and he's just like... Like he's jamming out while waiting to commit murder. And that's awesome. And it is a heinous death. And I love that they don't show it. Mm-hmm. You can imagine, he gets smashed in a door. His final destination, basically. Yep. And he leaves the balloon that says Death the Spies. Mm-hmm. Which is pretty great. And that's when Bond finally goes crazy. Like, he realizes that his romance, you know, has gotten in the way of the mission. Yes. Uh, I think that's also when he scares, like, a mother and her child because he's running at them with a gun because he thinks yes. it's Necros. Yes. And then that's when Necros comes in and Bond's drugged um, in the hotel room. Mm-hmm. And that that's an interesting scene with the heart that's not even an actual human heart and they're hiding diamonds in it. Yep. We go to the Middle East because that was this is a thing with this movie. This is the only thing that kind of dates it is that the Russians were in Afghanistan. And that's what the the last act of this movie really deals with the Russian invasion in Afghanistan. And the whole villain plot is they're going to buy opium with the diamonds with which the diamonds were from Ru- the Soviet Union. They're going to buy they buy opium and they're selling the opium to make it make another additional profit and then give the Russians their their guns. Mm. They're kind of playing both sides. Yeah. Because they're they're selling they're trading the diamonds to the the Afghans for opium. But we, we get the great fight scene with the 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 heavy set Russian who tries to stab Bond with one of those weird like paper things that's like a, a horrible like spear 
thing on a desk? I don't know what that's called, but he tries to stab Bond's face with it. Mm. It always makes me cringe. And then he gets gassed, his wrist broken by getting a door slammed into it. He's punched in the belly. <laughs> it's just he gets messed up. But it's all that's also when Bond and the Bond girl team up with the Afghans. Yes. We did skip a scene because we had to the big thing is that Bond's supposed to kill John Reese Davies. Oh, that scene. That is a great scene. This is this shows off that Dalton's Bond is ruthless mm-hmm. when he uh, forcefully undresses a woman to be a human shield. More like a distraction. It was like a distraction. And then he, he pistol whips a man in the face that has done nothing wrong. <laughs> and he beats up John Reese Davies a little bit, and then they both decide that they have to fake his death mm-hmm. to make Kuskov actually come out and come back to the Russians. So we have the fake death scene, which is actually really graphic for PG. Some yeah. Actually squibs. They, I think they got away with it because they were literally squibs. Mm-hmm. That was the point. And then we get bad Felix Leiter. Yep. Sadly. Uh, Bond gets abducted by some girls in a car. That are with the CIA. Yeah, and, and they the take teams. him to the worst Felix Leiter, maybe in the entire series because he's the most yeah. forgettable. Yeah, he can't act. That's the big thing. He cannot act. And so I guess the thought process was, because they didn't have this thought process for License to Kill, because they actually brought back the Felix Leiter from Live and Let Die. Mm-hmm. The thought process was, we have a younger Bond, we have to have a younger Felix. Yeah, because he looks young and weirdly like not fitting for the Felix character. No. No. He's the worst. Yeah. He's so, Which, his acting's so wooden, but thankfully he's not in a lot of the movie. Yeah, that's why he's so forgettable. I keep forgetting Felix is in this. That's his first appearance since Live and Let Die. Yes. And thankfully they went with the other actor again in the next one, License to Kill. And even though he is older than Dalton, like I never got that. Like they seem like way closer in age and personalities. That's that's because Dalton feels like a world weary bond. Yeah. License to kill. Yeah, they they are a way better pairing. Yeah. Um. So we're getting to the end. Bond, and I can't remember her name. The character's name. Kara, I think. Yeah, they they escape with an Afghan soldier. They end up meeting their leader of the Afghan resistance, or at least that sect of it, and they stage an attack so that Bond can steal. He can blow up the heroin, which doesn't work. Um, and we get one of the greatest fights on a Bond airplane with uh, him and the, the henchmen tangled in the net. They're tangled in the net, and then Bond kills him by cutting his shoelaces off his boot and lets him 
fall to his death, which is actually a stuntman jumping out of an airplane. It's I think the last time they did that. Yeah, but it's it's awesome. It's an it awesome. It aged so well. I think this also was the inspiration for Nolan in Dark Knight Rises with Bane and the airplane. Yes. Because as we know, Nolan is a big Bond fan. He should... Actually, I don't want Christopher Nolan to ever direct a Bond movie. To be fair, if he he gets creative control, I think he would be better than the Broccolis. I mean... Well, yeah. But it would just be... It'd be kind of nonsensical, I think. I think it'd be way too artsy. And at this mm. point, we don't need another art house Bond movie. Yeah. I mean, they shut down Steven Spielberg and Quentin Tarantino at points. When I they know. wanted to do I knew about Spielberg, but I didn't know about Quentin Tarantino. Oh, yeah. He wanted to make Casino Royale in the early 2000s, but he wanted it to be completely in black and white. Yeah, they're not going to do that. Yeah. But then Tarantino was like, oh, of course then they made the movie after all, because I gave them ideas. I told them it would work. No, they finally got the rights to it. They could. Mm-hmm. Um, damn. We'll, we'll talk about that when we get to Casino Royale, all of them. Yeah. But uh, let's talk about the final shootout, because we haven't talked about the arms dealer. Whitaker obsession. Whitaker and his obsession with battles in history. He has a bunch of like mannequins that look like him, but as historical like war people. Yeah, like, and there's a Napoleon has... statue. Yeah, yeah, and he has these boards that show, like the Battle of Waterloo, the Battle of Gettysburg, like mm-hmm. these big battles in history, which. I remember when I was in private school that um, part of, I think it was fourth grade you had to make, no, it was high school, um, because the fourth grade teacher, I think, also taught a high school class, a history class, and he had the students build things like that. They didn't have sound and lights, but they had models, and they were models of great battles. It was sea battles, though. I remember that because I thought that was really cool when I was seven. Hmm. I haven't thought about that since I was seven, but but it was similar to that. It's funny. And then there's a great fight between him and Bond in there where he fires a cannon via a television remote at, at Bond. And then Bond knocks something on him and crushes him, which is pretty great. And then Koskov is escorted away to be executed. Which is great, because it's not directly stated. Yeah. Because John Rice davies come, comes in, and he says something like, uh, make sure he gets there safely in a diplomatic bag. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's pretty great. And then we, we end with um, our, our Bond girl gets her cello performance and gets the... the and she appre- meets Gogol. She meets Goggle. Well, al- almost. M is talking to Goggle about her, and, and Goggle wants to meet her. Yeah. And then the the Afghans show up, and they got held up at the airport because they're all wearing <laughs> their bandoliers, which too I, I, soon. I, yeah, in in the post nine eleven world, that's just not acceptable anymore. But it was funny in the eighties. 
Yeah, it's and, still funny now, but for different reasons. And then she and Bond hook up in the dressing room. Yeah, in a nice, not perverted scene, like just a nice romantic scene because the romance was like genuine, like not like, you know, view to a kill. Yes, there was chemistry. Mm-hmm. And we end The Living Daylights. With another Pretender song. Yes. And again, this soundtrack. This is the first Bond movie that did, they did this for up until, I think, Die Another Day, where they have a Bond beginning song and a different Bond end song. Because remember, it used to be a reprise of the initial mm-hmm. Bond theme. And this is the first one that deviates from that. They have two songs. This is probably the best pairing of songs. For, yeah. Because License to Kill has a great beginning song. There's the song that plays in like the CD bar, which is fine, but the end song is terrible. Mm. Um, True. But here we have Aha, uh-huh, Living Daylights. Then The uh-huh. Pretenders, Where's Everybody Gone, which is a banger. That yes. is a, I would have been fine if that was the opening, you know, credits song as well. And then again, the pretenders with If There Was a Man, which is the slower romantic one, which is also great. That would have worked yeah. if this was a Roger Moore film. It's yeah, almost they, like it's almost like they could have picked any film for any of the actors. If Roger came back, let's pick the romantic one. We got Dalton, let's pick Aha. Uh-huh. If it was Brosnan, let's go with Where's Everybody Gone? You know? Yes. But I, like I said, I think this is the best John Barry score. Yeah, and it's his final one. Mm-hmm. And we uh, see him in the film. I think this is the one where he has a cameo as the constructor at the end. Yeah, the conductor, yes. Con- conductor, was, yeah. Yeah. Um, the finale, final John Barry, it's sad. It's sad because mm-hmm. we get to license the kills music's fine. Mm-hmm. Golden Eyes is weird. Yeah, that soundtrack has problems. Um, but yeah, it, it just this is the last like John good John Barry score. Last John Barry score. Um I don't think he's still alive. I think he passed. No, he he passed away, yeah. Uh but it wasn't until like the 2010s, I think. I think so, yeah. Yeah. Um but he he was an integral part of the Bond series, and it's a shame to see him go. But mm-hmm. but the next movie, we're going to see a lot of lasts. Uh, yep, sadly. But final thoughts regarding this. Good story, great new Bond, great characterization and everything, just great acting with most of them. Like we said, Felix Leiter is the weak point, definitely. But he's not in it that much, so it's fine. Great mm-hmm. action, great humor and it just this movie probably has some of the best cold war atmosphere yes this is the last big cold war movie mm-hmm. although goldeneye does deal with that but it deals with what happens after the cold war yeah and one of the best bond romances just in general mm-hmm. uh, and crazy i think yeah and what's also great is kara the character She's not really written to be Bond's equal like they tried to do before and after, but she's just a normal person getting involved in all of this. And she's she's not not... a damsel in distress, which makes it fun and interesting. Yeah. They took care. They just wrote a 
normal woman character. Mm -hmm. And it works perfectly. Yes. And this... I also can and can't we can't end this without mentioning uh same actress is in Extro, the horror movie. That's right. That was my first exposure to her. Ex really my first exposure, as we know she's completely naked in that film. I forgot about Extro. Extro's a good movie. Yeah. I highly recommend check out Extro. It's weird. You see a weird birthing scene where a woman gives birth to a full-grown man. And it's gross and weird. Yep. And he's also an alien. Have you seen the sequels to Extro? No, I've heard they are not that good. I, I've never bothered. But yeah, go check out Extro. Check out The Living Daylights. This might be my favorite Bond film. This and the next one, they go back and forth as my favorite Bond film. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and this was a great 25th anniversary movie. Yes. Especially if we compare it to the other ones they did, which were Diana of a Day and Skyfall. Skyfall's not terrible. Yeah, it isn't, but... Some of it, it does force in some references, like the. Uh, it's better than Die Another Day with the it, yeah it the, the, the DB five. Yeah, the Aston Martin is in it, and it's breaks continuity of the Craig reboot, but whatever. But this one you wouldn't even know. No. But anyway, we'll see you next time with. License to Kill, the first PG-13 Bond movie. Hmm. Scarface, the Bond movie. Anyway, have a good one. Goodbye. Sorry.